You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. After introducing the book of Ephesians as the place we need to start if we're going to ask the question, why the church? We need to look more deeply into each verse, into all the material that's there. And so we're going to be looking at just the first two verses today in chapter 1. And as we do, I want to just come back to a question that comes to me. If the church is God's plan, then how perfect does it need to be? I think we enter into the church with expectations of what it should be and what it shouldn't be, and and that's appropriate in some ways, and possibly that's inappropriate. Maybe we have expectations for the church that aren't God's expectations of the church, and if it's His plan, then it needs to be to His expectations. And so as we look into today's text, and I hope you see it as well, is that There's a lot of things that we think the church is going to be, and it doesn't add up to that. And we talk about the church as being inadequate, as being less than, and we are able to critique it because it didn't do this for me. And that's not what God made it for in the first place. So our critique of the church is inappropriate, and that's why we're frustrated with it. What we're also going to see is that there are things that are talked about in this text that we don't have as expectations for the church. And because of that, we fall woefully short. There's more provided in God's plan than what we think is actually there. And if we were going to experience the church in its fullness, if we would go, wow, this is the most awesome thing I've ever been a part of, potentially, we would be living into what's described here. And so, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says first, Paul, an apostle of King Jesus by the will of God. By Paul being named an apostle of King Jesus, it kind of hits most of us Christians as, yeah, so what? We forget Paul's story. Paul is the worst of the worst within the early church. He's the one who murders and throws into prison all the Christians. He's going everywhere he can to bring them down. And he thinks that murder is appropriate. He thinks that killing people is okay as long as it stops this false narrative that needs to be taken out as soon as it possibly can be. So when Paul is an apostle of King Jesus by the will of God, it tells us something very, very huge right off the bat about what the church is supposed to be. Many times we enter in expecting our leaders to have no cracks, no backstory in them that could ever be brought up and gone, hey, man, I'm not sure this person should really be leading us. Paul has a bad backstory, and that's why God chooses him. He wants to use those who are the least capable to be able to show that he, God, is the most capable in this process. And this is going to be a regular occurrence throughout all of Scripture. Abraham throws his wife Sarah under the bus and offers her for somebody else to marry her and have sexual relations with her. David is going to commit adultery and murder his best friend. 
God regularly is going to use the people that we would say disqualified, you can't have any place in leadership in the church, and he is actually going to renew them and restore them and transform them in a way that shows God's greatness. That needs to be how we see the church. Secondly, he says to the saints, those hagios is what it says literally in Greek, who are at Ephesus, who are full of faith in King Jesus. To us, to hear the saints might not stand out that much, but that word hagios was a term that was used for any person, place, or thing that was taken out of the normal realm in order to be used for worship of the gods. By calling these people, Jews and Gentiles, saints, is to say you're no longer a baker, you're no longer a mom, you're no longer your past, whether good or bad, you are now God's. That is not how we talk about ourselves regularly in the church. We regularly talk about ourselves as sinners who are simply saved by grace. If you look throughout Scripture, there's no place in Scripture that once someone comes to Christ that they are referred to as a sinner. Their identity has changed. They are no longer bound by what used to be. They are now brought into fellowship with God and for a purpose— to bring him worship, not just so that we can have a place where we can hang out and be loved. It's so that we can be used to glorify our great God who is in heaven. These people are us as well. We are the saints called to God. And in that, that is a huge insight into us about what the church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be people who leave our past in the past and enter the present in order to bring God worship through our service. Many of us enter in going, hey, this person isn't serving me well. They aren't taking care of my needs. And we've missed the whole purpose of sainthood. Or we continue on in our ways of sin and just say, well, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And God says, no, I have offered you something completely different. I have offered you myself and I let you leave that old life behind. Now what I need is I need you to put your faith in King Jesus. This is a huge insight here. There are many people who will never darken the doors of a church again because their leaders with a bad backstory brought their bad backstory into the present and did things they should have never done and said things they never should have said. And we say, that's not what my leaders should be like, and we're right in saying that. But the problem is, is that we have put all of our faith in this leader, this one who says the words we wish we could say, who does the things we wish we could do. And by putting our faith in them, we have missed putting our faith where our faith is really supposed to be. It's supposed to be in King Jesus. People will always let you down. They will always fall short. Even the best leaders will disappoint us. King Jesus never will. And this is Paul's point from the very beginning. Yes, I may be apostle called to this work by the will of God, but your faith as saints is in King Jesus. It is never in me. If you do put it in me, you will miss what the church is supposed to be about, and you will end up walking out the side doors because of someone's failure in the process. 
Finally, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To us, those words may not stand out as well as the word saint. The word grace is the word charis. It's the the word or the term that was used in the ancient Gentile world to say hello, charis to you. For the Jews, though, they didn't say grace to you. They said shalom or peace to you. By Paul saying grace to you and peace to you, what he's saying is Jews and Gentiles, I welcome you both. I welcome you both into this family. That would have been completely foreign in the ancient world. The reason why is because Jews and Gentiles had a mutual hatred and disrespect for each other. The Orthodox Jews on a regular basis would pray, and they would pray this every single day, God, thank you for not making me a woman. Thank you for not making me a dog. And the third, which is the ultimate, thank you for not making me a Gentile. They wouldn't eat with Gentiles. They would do their best to avoid contact with Gentiles in every sphere that they possibly could because they were dirty. They were less than. They would never add up to God's kingdom people. And so they needed to be avoided at all cost. This is the group. This is the group that Paul says, hey, it's good to have you guys all together. When we go to churches, and and oftentimes churches plant themselves based upon this method, they say, let's find where our market is and let's get everybody who's exactly the same age, who's close to the same socioeconomic level, who comes from the same geographical region, and let's go after them. We will make a church for them and we will bring them in, and that is the antithesis of what God had planned in his church. He didn't have planned to bring all of the people who are like each other together. He had the plan to bring those who are most unlike each other together. As we walk through the book of Ephesians, we'll understand why. But for right now, this simple grace to you and peace to you should shake us from our expectations of the church. The church isn't about making you feel comfortable. It's about making you feel uncomfortable. It's about connecting you with people that you normally don't connect with in your workplace or in your leisure activities. They're the other, and he wants to sit us all down at the same table. In fact, a table that makes us family. The way that you think about your loved ones is the way he wants to connect us with the poor and with the great and with this gender and that gender and with that economic background and this economic background. He wants to make us one family. Why? Because he says, this grace and peace comes from God, not your father, but God, our father. He's our dad. He's our papa. That makes us brothers and sisters. And we use that terminology a lot of times. But this is what Paul's going to build throughout the book of Ephesians. The church is supposed to be your best family. You're supposed to have your deepest relationships, brother, sister, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. That's what the church is supposed to become. It's supposed to fill in the gaps of what you didn't experience in your life. And it's also supposed to transform 
what you are experiencing in your life so that God's goodness can flow its way out into every organization of humanity. And our Father is also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who is the God-man king. In the ancient world, there were godmen. They, they were called the demigods. And, and this formulation would have hit the early readers of he really is this one who can completely relate to us, just like Achilles. But he's more than us, just like Achilles. And, and he will fight for us and he will defend us. That's our dad's firstborn son that he sent to guide us into victory. And he's going to lead us in the way that we should go. If we just follow along with him, everything will be all right. This reiterates the point that Paul just made right before that. Our faith is in King Jesus, the one who Paul serves, even though he is completely unworthy of it. And I hope just these first two verses open up your eyes like they open up mine about what the church is really supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place that brings the most broken people to the greatest places of leadership because that's where God wants to show his glory. It's supposed to be a place that changes our identity and gives us a place where we can serve with passion because we're doing this for God and our faith is in him and his king and in this one that will make all things right. And he's going to start by first making our relationships right. He's going to heal those. He's going to restore those. He's going to make those different. And he's going to start by simply making us family. He's going to change our expectations of what the church is supposed to provide. And he's going to simply build a people of love. I hope that that helps you to connect some dots in a way that you see the church in a fuller and more vivid way than you have before. And that it helps you to begin to answer this question of why the church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.